Hi, and welcome to Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking discussion about everyday dilemmas. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn, joined by wife, mother, and attorney, Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Hey, good morning, Marna. Hey, Kelly. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hi, Mike. Good morning, Marna and Kelly. We're here to offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations. Our goal is to help you scrutinize your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. Let's get started. This week, our topic is about failing to show up for appointments or canceling at the last minute. It seems to be a big problem for service providers these days, judging by all the reminders they send out. My dentist is stalking me, or rather her office is. They have texted, emailed, and left me two voicemails reminding me of my cleaning and asking me to confirm their confirmation. I appreciate the reminder, but do we really need to have a conversation about this? The dentist isn't the only one. My hair salon texts and calls with escalating urgency until I personally respond. Yes, yes, I'll be there. The acupuncture office harasses me until they get a return call. I actually believe they'd give away my appointment time if I didn't confirm their confirmation. Even the medical clinic now sends a robocall four days out, a personal call two days later, and a reminder text. Apparently, there's an epidemic of people failing to show up for their appointments. Last time I was getting a haircut, my hairstylist had two clients cancel at the last minute, which left her with openings on her schedule but no time to book a paying customer. I see her dilemma. What do you think is going on? What's behind this behavior? And is there a way to turn it around? Kelly, why don't you weigh in first? Well, you've got quite the providers out there, Marna. (laughs) (laughs) You don't get that? They're stalking laws. Uh, (laughs) We'll have to discuss those on another uh, episode. But I don't know that it's a problem. I almost think it's what technology supports and what's available to businesses for little cost. You know, businesses are always trying to make money. And that makes sense. That's what they're supposed to do. They're always trying to be profitable. And if they can make an extra dollar, they want to. So by taking advantage of these new practices and the technology, the texting, the robocalls, for little cost, you know, they may be able to reduce their average no-show rate from 7% to 4%. And, you know, that's, that's money in their pocket. So I think that's what's going on. I don't think that people are completely flaky or rude and just not showing up all the time. And certainly, I think these follow-ups can get ridiculous. And it's almost disrespectful for people to contact you repeatedly to confirm an appointment. I mean, I understand if you've not showed before um, or there's been an issue with a particular customer, but otherwise, I think that that's wrong. It sounds like you don't think that on the customer's end, there's a problem. Overall, I don't. I I would imagine, I haven't researched it, but the no-show rate has probably been pretty steady over the years, you know, at at some amount. Like, I think for medical practices, it's like 5 to 7%. So I think it's been pretty consistent. And I would imagine that it's gone down with the technology and the reminders. I think that you have to be respectful of your clients. I know as an attorney, I tried to be. And I think one follow-up will do it. And if you have a customer or a client or a patient that isn't showing and that's happened, then maybe as the provider, you fire them in a polite way. Fire is a strong word, but I know as an attorney, 
we were trained, you know, that certain clients needed to be fired. <laughs> of course, they never knew it, but we, you know, we would tell them that, you know, maybe they'd be better served with someone else or wasn't our area of expertise or various things like that. Okay. Well, I was thinking that the problem with clients and customers not showing up was getting worse, but you're saying, no, it's just technology is making it easier to badger your clients to show up. That's my take based on empirical evidence. I haven't done any research <laughs> or anything, but, uh-huh. but, but that's what I believe. Well, I, I appreciate the reminder. I really do, but it annoys me that I have to confirm their confirmation. I have a calendar. I keep it. If there's a problem, I'll call. What do you think, Mike? You know, I think this is a function of the automation of our society for those who choose to be automated. Because we can send out multiple reminders and follow-ups, I think we do. Because it's correct that it's going to improve the bottom line for the provider. I also think there's a distinct difference in the importance level of the appointment. You know, if you've waited a month... I mean, I know we're going to talk about MRIs today, but if you've waited for a month or two or three for an MRI, you're probably going to make that appointment one way or another. But there are others where far more routine, let's say hair or something else that you might might not. I also think that, you know, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I have these longstanding relationships with some of the people who help me out. You know, like my dentist, for example. The dentist is somebody I went to school with. So there's this relationship which, you know, I I am very respectful of, and they in turn are very respectful of it. And they know that, you know, they can call me, for example. I've made it clear to them if they want to call me and tell me they've had a cancellation and could I come in tomorrow instead of three weeks from now? Yeah, give me a call. Sometimes I realize I'm the one who lives in the small rural town, and that may be a function of small rural towns. But I think it uh, it's certainly something I tend to disagree with, Kelly, and I think it is an increasing problem here. Yeah, I, I you know, you could be right, um, but I'm not sure that's it. I, I'm definitely more pro-patient, pro-consumer. You know, I, I, know, I know my son's orthodontist does the texting and the follow-up calls. And and they're the one provider that does it several times. And I don't mind because they do not charge if you do not show up. Because for orthodontia, you you pay a large fee over time for the braces and all the appointments. So if you don't show, not only does it hurt your child's or your progress towards getting the braces off and fixing your smile and your bite, but it hurts them and they're not going to charge you. So I don't, I don't mind that. But, you know, Marna's scenario, I, I think that's disrespectful. And, you know, Marna's the customer. We're the customer. You know, we should be treated with respect and valued, particularly, I think, in the medical field where sometimes I think, you know, they can be a little bit patronizing, condescending. I think it's an issue. <laughs> You know, yeah. not, not, I've had some great doctors, but you certainly can encounter that. And I think, like most people don't have the luxury of growing up in a small town and, and knowing everybody and seeing the same people throughout their life. You're not going to get a late charge or, you know, or a, you know, a no-show fee from those folks. They're just yeah. not going to do yeah. it. I I hear you. Those are some good points. Well, I'll tell you the reason I thought that the problem was getting worse, or maybe just businesses have decided to do something about it, is an increasing trend I've noticed of you you got to secure your appointment with a credit card. Some hair salons will do that. Massage therapists will do that. I would not do that. (laughs) A lot of people do have a problem with that. I would never go to a provider that does that, period. 
Yeah, um, just like I don't give my social security number. <laughs> right. Like, wh- like when I go to a doctor's appointment and they want my social security number or my kid's social security number, there's no way I'm oh, putting yeah. that down. Oh, I leave that blank. Yeah. And if they come back to me and they're like, oh, we need your social security number, I just go, oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't know it. I don't know it. Come on, Kelly. I don't carry my card with me. I was advised not to do that, and I, I don't know it by yeah. heart. I don't even, because I don't want to argue with them. I don't want to go, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't be asking me for this. I just, you know, and if it's my child, I do the same thing. Oh, gosh, which is the truth. I don't know my kids, all their social security numbers. But I just think that you've got to protect yourself. So you wouldn't go to a provider who asked you to secure your appointment? No way. No. No. I mean, there's a lot of competition out there, and you don't need to do that. If you love the provider and you're just passionate, I guess so. But I don't think I'd ever see somebody in the first place that I could really come to love if that's what their business required. Well, I think that they were losing a lot of business because of no-shows, and that's what caused them to implement that policy. Well, maybe. I'll tell you, I used to work as a receptionist for a chiropractor. And in the couple years I worked for him, I came to understand that a person's relationship to time is a big part of their public persona. And it got to be where I could predict our patient's behavior. I knew this patient would show up 10 minutes late and be grumpy that he had to wait. This patient would uh, forget. This patient would not show up, but she'd send her husband to take her appointment. This patient would be half an hour late without apology or excuse. I got really good at that. So if people understood how much your persona to the public is made up of your relationship to time, I think we would all be a little bit more careful about it. Now, I, I'll come clean with you. I'm allergic to being early. So <laughs> I'm uh, sometimes a tiny bit late. That's my little problem, and I'm working on it. Yeah. I'll, I'll fess up. I think a few minutes is okay. I mean, I'm not, I generally am on time or a little early for my appointments, but I would say only in the last 10 years where I've really, for some reason, gotten anxious and I just want to get there and I don't want to race and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I do think we have to work with people and be kind and understand things happen. But I also appreciate the businesses are trying to make money. Yeah. Well, the, the chiropractor I worked for, he would not allow me to call the patients that we had scheduled for the next day or so to remind them. Because he said, if if you start doing that, then they'll come to rely on reminders and they'll never remember. Um, so did that system work? Sounds uh, like it didn't work. <laughs> he had a little bit of a problem with people not showing up. Uh, This was a satellite office. People who were in the local area came to see him when he was down there. But a lot of times also when they were rescheduling, when they were scheduling the next appointment with me, I would say, let me put this down on a card for you. And a lot of them would say, oh, no, that's okay. I'll remember. (laughs) And they, they didn't have a calendar out or anything. And I would say, don't do this to me. Let me give you a card. Because I knew they wouldn't remember. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm hearing you both say is it's just a mutual respect thing. Let's take a break and we'll come back with another scenario about no-shows and last-minute cancellations. Welcome back to Ethics and Etiquette. We're talking about no-shows and last-minute cancellations today. We're going to flip the script a little bit. A doctor's office scheduled a patient for an MRI and required him to sign a statement saying he understood there was significant financial liability for a cancellation or a missed appointment. When the patient arrived at the facility for the MRI, it was closed. The receptionist had mistakenly booked his appointment on a day when MRIs weren't done. What recourse does the patient have? Should the office reimburse the patient for his time because of their mistake? What do you think, Mike? 
You know, in a perfect world, I suppose the the office, the MRI facility, or whomever would would reimburse a patient. But good luck with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I at least it's my experience that there, whenever there's a scarcity of something, and I think there is a scarcity of MRI time, MRI, MRI capability. So we as the the consumers of that. We're really stuck, and I don't think that's going to change until the dynamics turned around to where there are more MRIs than there are people who want them. And we mentioned this in the previous scenario, too. The medical profession, some in some cases with justification, is they can be pretty stingy with providing their resources, and, and they, they realize that you need them more than they need you in many cases. At least that's the way where I live. So there's a certain a certain hubris that creeps in on the part of the medical providers. Yeah, I just, I think uh, you can certainly complain. You can certainly make a fuss. You can uh, have them schedule you at your convenience the next time, but to have them pay you for your lost time, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen. What do you think, Kelly? Absolutely not. It's not going to happen. I mean, they have no contractual or legal responsibility to do so. And, you know, if they were to do so, it would just open up a world of, of financial responsibility, potentially, or liability for that practice. So, yeah, I would say there's nothing the patient could can do. I, I mean, on the other hand, mistakes happen. This could have been, you know, an error, just, just a mistake, and we should be kind and understanding. If, if otherwise, if the patient was happy with the practice, I think the patient does what Mike described, which is, you know, you speak to the practice manager or the doctor that, you know, gave you the script for the MRI, and then move on. You let them know this happened, and, you know, you just want to share it with them so that it doesn't happen again to you or another patient. And maybe even put something in writing because I've found that, you know, you say stuff to people and they kind of nod their head and, you know, uh, and then they, there's, there's no consequence. And if you're really upset, obviously you can move to a different practice and you could even, you know, post a review on social media. I mean, that's where I think the playing field has really evened out except for abuses for the consumer or the patient because you can go online, you can research a doctor, a lawyer, um, whatever, and you can look at the reviews and and make a determination about who you want to hire, who you yeah. want to go to. Boy, those bad reviews really stand out too. Yeah, that what you can really get their attention that way. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, you you can, and really good companies will be constantly monitoring and you know immediately reach out to um, the complainant and try to satisfy them and respond online or, you know, ask them to follow up with more info if they've, you know, resolved the issue. Yeah, that goes a long way. I was going to say, from the practice point of view, what could they do to help soften this situation with the MRI appointment? I mean, often just an apology, just a sincere apology. Gosh, we're so sorry this happened. We're going to get you another appointment tomorrow or immediately. And, you know, we apologize for our mistake. Right. I think that goes a long way. Yeah, sincere apology and giving somebody some time and allowing them to express their concerns or their complaints. I think that's really what people are looking for. And then, you know, hopefully a reassurance that the provider is going to do better in the future and it won't happen again. You know, there's something here. So often when we go to a specialized provider, we end up paying a copay. 
you know, this would be a great opportunity for a provider like that who clearly made a mistake, who clearly wasted the time of their patient to say, hey, we'll schedule you at your convenience. And oh, by the way, next time around, we'll waive the copay. Again, that, as Kelly mentioned a minute ago, that would go a long ways in terms of making the, the customer or the patient just feel feel like they've been treated with, you know, although they were blown off in the first instance, they've been treated with respect second time around. Oh, I agree. Nobody would ever do that, though, Mike. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, I mean, you and I live in different worlds, Kelly. We have to remember that. But that would be a good practice. I agree with you, Mike. Let let me tell you about something just happened to me. You know, as, as you guys know, I live in a somewhat different place, our wonderfully quiet corner of New York State. So let me flip the script here and talk about a situation that I had last year. I'm at my doctor's appointment, my annual physical. And I'm talking to the doctor, and he says, Mike, when's the last time you had a dermatology check? And I said, you know, Doc, it's been five years. And he goes, well, time for another one. So when we're done, I go out and I get the consult, and I get a hold of the dermatologist in our town. There's only one. The office of the dermatologist says, you're a new patient. We have an eight-month wait. And I go, eight months? Are you kidding me? And so I begin to look around, and I end up going across Lake Champlain to Vermont, to Burlington, Vermont. There, I get in in the rapid get in at the rapid rate of six months. So I've been waiting for this dermatology appointment for six months, and several days before the appointment, I just call them. Clearly, they are a limited resource. They have plenty of patients, far greater demand on their their services than there uh, is a supply. And so I call them just to confirm. And they said, sure, yeah, we're expecting you and all that. And it worked out great. I found that as a patient or a consumer or a client, sometimes going back in and verifying an appointment with your provider, wherever that might be, whoever that might be, is a good use of everybody's time. Things get dropped off the computer or whatever. That's really good advice. Back in a moment. Stick with us. Welcome back to Ethics and Etiquette. We're talking about missed appointments and late cancellations today. And I have the story of my own. After my knee replacement operation, I reliably made it to my physical therapy appointments. There were probably... 20 or 30 of them. But one day I woke up very sick with a stomach flu and I had to cancel the appointment. Because I canceled on the morning of the appointment, the clinic charged me a $25 late cancellation fee. Now I understand this penalty as an incentive for patients to keep their appointments, but I had a reliable record of showing up and I really was very sick that day, no doubt about it. So in asking to be waived on this $25 fee, am I advocating for a double standard here, Kelly? No, not at all. It's ridiculous for them to charge you $25. I mean, that's where you have to be reasonable as a provider. And look at the circumstances. You have a great patient who's repeatedly showing up. You're probably getting good reimbursements from insurance for them. Why would you do this? I mean, it makes no sense, but it's the kind of thing that happens frequently because you have some administrator in charge of things who's doing all the billing, and they usually pick somebody who's difficult, cold-hearted, that's going (laughs) to, you know, just run people down and get money, right? Right, right. (laughs) And, you know, so I would absolutely speak to my physical therapist and chat with them and get it resolved at my next appointment or get with the patient coordinator or the practice manager. And if they won't waive that, I'm not going back. 
and I'm going to post something online. So you're going to take a hard line. Oh, yeah, because I think that's ridiculous. You're, You're a valued customer, you know, a valued patient. That makes no sense. That's where, you know, people have to use discretion. You can't have this inflexible policy. That makes no sense. Right. Mike, do you agree with Kelly? I agree. I think this is, you know, an administrator up front at the front desk run amok. And if your provider or whoever owns that practice knew this, they would be very upset. They'd be disappointed. You're a valued customer, client, patient. Uh, You've been there 20 to 30 times. I bet each of your appointments is no less than $50 per appointment. Oh, at least. In terms of revenue for them. So, you know, you are of economic value to them, and they are treating you with disrespect. It's also incumbent on you. If you have the stomach flu, the last thing they want and and you want to do is bring the stomach flu into their practice. You know, Uh, that could cause lots of trouble. I was thinking that, too. Like, you kind of say that to the administrator. What did you, you want me you want me to come in and get everybody sick? <laughs> yeah. And I think I got the stomach flu from one of my coworkers who came to work sick. That's, that's a whole other inco- that's a whole other topic I know, there. I know, on, that's pretty on, inconsiderate. We need to talk about Marna another time, but you know, <laughs> at what point do you go not go and put yourself out in the public because you are you know, you got a cold or you got something that you don't want to share. I think this is really really uh, bad form on the part of your physical therapist. And I don't know if you have a lot of choices among physical therapists, but if you did, then this might be a reason to end that relationship. So both of you would take that stance. If you can't get it resolved, be willing to end the relationship. Well, I I would also kick it up to the next level and say, hey, you know, you talk to the person at the front desk and say, let me talk to your boss. You know, that always kind of gets everybody's attention in life and just say, hey, this is uh, this is uncool. Yeah, I mean, once you've exhausted all possible remedies through through the system, like Mike described, from your you know your therapist to you know the front desk person to you know the patient or the practice manager, if you've gone up the chain and you haven't gotten any relief, yeah, I would I would move on because you know if you're not going to be valued and if they're going to come after you for twenty five dollars after. You know, you've been a loyal patient. I think you move on. That's not the kind of practice you want to be associated with. They're more concerned about money than they are about you. And inflexible policies. Right. And, and, And that's kind of, you know, that's what irritates me about this whole thing is I know that folks have got to protect their businesses, whether it's a medical practice, physical therapy, law practice, you know, um, a place where you get your hair and nails done, whatever. But on the other hand, you have to show respect for patients. Um, you have to, there has to be a reasonableness kind of standard applied and it's got to work both ways. Like one of the things that bothers me is you have to sign all these forms about if you're late or if you're you know, don't give 24 hours notice, yet they don't hesitate to make you sit, you, you're there on time, and then you wait a half an hour. Yeah, they think nothing of, nothing about that. They think that. nothing of it, because, mm-hmm. you know, we're professionals, and you're just going to have to wait. You know, I don't mind that if they're not making me sign all these forms and placing a, a, a specific standard on me, and, and I feel like I'm once I get in, I'm going to get good service. But if they're taking a hard line with me and then I'm sitting and waiting on a regular basis, then that's not respectful towards a patient or their time. There's that respect word again that we keep repeating on this show, <laughs> mutual yeah, respect. That. 
Imagine that. <laughs> a lot of things could be solved with more respect. Respect and communication. Yeah. <laughs> respect and communication, right. Well, uh, speaking of communication, I did talk to the front desk person about the charge, and we had a pretty involved conversation, and she was taking a hard line about, well, that's the policy. You, you canceled late. So I was getting ready to take it to the office manager. I just hadn't gotten around to it. And somebody from the office called me and said, well, we just updated our computers. And for some reason, this charge is not transferring to the new software. So you're off the hook. So Oh, that's, <laughs> that's pretty small ball right there. Oh. See, the next time you just ask them, you know, if you're going to charge me this, how would you also, it's a package deal. I'll also give you the stomach flu. <laughs> yeah. No charge. No charge. No charge to you. You get my $25 yes. and my stomach flu. A really virulent strain of it, too. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I think you got to be reasonable. And even if you have signed something, you know, because really for them to collect that, they have to have you, they have to notify you of the policy, what specifically the policy is. And then, you know, as the consumer or the patient um, or the client, you have to sign it and agree to it in writing. You know, even if you've done all that, I think it should be applied, you know, with discretion and, and sparingly. Yeah, it's back to your story as a receptionist, Marna. You get to know the clientele and you can you understand which clients this might be a valuable tool. If you have a chronic abuser of the appointment system, maybe this is a valuable tool. Somebody like you who's been very good, and I know you were on time to all your other appointments, Marna. Um, so, um, you know. More or less. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> so they're missing the mark here, you know. And uh, again, if this person, all of these providers in some way, shape, or form, are running a business. And they, you know, when you are a business owner, you have to look to your customers. And it may be a little different in the medical world, but there's that old saying out there that the customer is always right. Great, great point. Customer service. Absolutely. Like, I can tell you, when we lived in Texas, we had this wonderful pediatrician. She didn't require any signing of documents or late fee things. Um, she would always, if your child was sick, you would call, you would always get in. When you got to the office, unless you had the very first appointment of the day, I mean, you knew you were going to wait. And sometimes we'd wait up to an hour. And the first time I was, you know, new to Texas from the East Coast, and I was like, what is going on? I mean, I was not happy. But then I got in there, and she was wonderful. Took all the time in the world with us, with my son, and every time we went, we waited never more than an hour. And it was always worth it because she took care with us, time, got to the bottom, great diagnosis, just this personal touch. And I felt good about it and it was worth it. And we knew what we were getting. It's when you deal with somebody where it's really kind of a one-sided thing and there's that lack of respect and, and you particularly see it in the medical field, I feel. Yeah, I've I've seen it a lot in the medical field, too. Do you suppose it's because they have a commodity and it's a supply-demand situation? I also think, like in my area, in the Philadelphia area, there's tons of competition between hospitals, providers, doctors, MRIs. Everything's here, plenty of it. I almost think it's a, um, I don't know whether I want to say elitist or classist, something where... 
a power yeah. model? <laughs> well, I mean, just that, you know, like I'm really educated and I'm a doctor or I'm, you know, I'm a nurse running a doctor's practice and, you know, you can't possibly, uh, you know, like just kind of treating you like you're, you're not that smart and kind of just do what we say. And, um, and that's really disappointing. And, yeah. and I, I usually see it particularly like when I go in, I'm, you know, I don't get dressed up. I, you know, I wear my sweatpants. And so, I, you know, I'm not looking like a professional or anybody special. And that's when you really see it. You know, if they find out what I do, if they see my profession, sometimes they change how they treat me, which is disappointing. Yeah, so you should all be treated the same. And I will also say I have two doctors in my fa- immediate family, and I hear the stories about how much pressure they're under from the, the billing and the insurance and the you know quantitative methods used to evaluate doctors in clinics. That's another component, maybe another show. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's also a generational thing. I have several older family members, and the way they approach the medical profession is that the doctor, especially the doctor, can do no wrong. You know, how many times have you heard, my doctor said, my doctor prescribed me this? And they really have totally outsourced their their health wellness to that doctor. And that means that they don't, they really don't think about, you know, their own health and they don't analyze their own patterns and symptoms. Uh, the doctor will tell them everything and the doctor never makes a mistake. And I think that's very different, at least in my generation. I know for sure it's different in the generation of my children, you know, who take a much more active role in their in their health care and in their wellness. So I think we're, you know, I, I realize, Kelly, you probably encounter that, but I think it's changing. I really do. Yeah, I, I hope so. And by the way, the people I see, I love, and they're not that way. But I've seen it, you know, both my parents are getting older, and I've, you know, particularly my mom, I've spent a good bit of time with her when she's been hospitalized. She's a registered nurse and a lawyer, but boy, they don't know. And the way they talk to her and, and what I've seen, so disappointing. You just don't know. And, and she's, a, she's an informed consumer. I totally agree with your statement, Mike, about the older generation. I, I, I definitely saw it with my grandparents and also with my husband's parents, who are about 10 or 15 years older than my parents. They just completely defer to the, to the physician. And, you know, I know when my grandfather was ill, you know, his children, you know, some of whom were doctors, one was a, um, you know, in the medical field and, and my mom and, and others kind of questioned the person he saw and wanted him to seek a second opinion and do these other things. And he just declined. He, you know, he really right. thought a doctor right. was a doctor. Sure. And yeah. What, and, he, you know, this is what the doctor said. And, you know, like very much uh, such a great deal of respect and not questioning and not being that informed consumer. Well, Dr. Google has really changed the scenario these days. Yeah. WebMD. Let's just dial up WebMD and figure this out. Right. Before you know it, you have an incurable disease and you have less than six months to live. I I saw a poster at the vet that said, you either have a wrist strain or the black plague. 
That's <laughs> that's what you find on the internet. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, I, Marna, I think we've discovered another area for another rich area for discussion here. This whole ethics of uh, medical care. I so, think you're right. Yeah. All right. Chalk this. That's one another up. another day, another show. We'll be back with our show's end notes right after this break. This is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking discussion about everyday dilemmas. We're at the end notes portion of our show, where we like to leave you with some things to think about for the coming week. Mike, what are your end notes? Well, I kind of want to end on a happy note here. I know we've trashed the medical profession for its... Uh, treatment of patients and clients <laughs> at different times during this uh, most recent podcast but um, you know it was constructive criticism <laughs> okay is that what we call it now all right <laughs> oh about five years ago one of my sons was involved in a he was just goofing around with his friends and uh, he got hit in the eye it was right before Christmas it was like on the 23rd of December he wasn't unable to, to drive or walk, but when he got home, it was very apparent that something was wrong. And so I was just struck in this next week and a half at how the medical profession bent over backwards to treat my son at a very awkward time of year, which is, you know, right around the, the Christmas break. It turned out that he had damaged his retina. And when you damage your retina, you know, there's no messing around. You only have so long to take care of that. So on the 26th of December, there we were in a doctor in a doctor's office in a uh, outpatient uh, surgery facility and there was the whole team doing doing work on my son um, that was had to be done right away. And I was just so impressed. They had fit him in. Everybody had rearranged their schedules. Um, there wasn't normally going to be any uh, work being done that day on the day after Christmas. It was very reassuring to me that when things really matter, you know, you can you can often count on people to step up in a major way. So I'll end with that. Ending on a positive note. Kelly, do you have one? You make me feel bad, Mike. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I was too hard on the medical profession, which I did not mean to be. But you made me think of a story, you know, myself that we experienced. My nephew was visiting us in the Richmond area. He was like a little boy. I think he was two. And it was Thanksgiving he came down with a high fever. And back then, I don't recall there being, you know, the doc in the box, um, a patient first or whatever. And so we called our primary care doctor. I think we got, you know, just the, the calling service. Long story short, he met my sister and my little nephew in the office on Thanksgiving and saw him and prescribed medicine. He was wonderful. Wow, so, that is so there. kind. I know, and there are a lot of people out there like that, so I, I didn't mean to be unfair. So thanks for pointing that out, Mike. Oh, you know, Kelly, I love to kind of, you know, bring you back on course every now and then. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for doing that. But I will also say, be an informed consumer to everybody out there. Advocate for yourself, always in a polite and courteous manner, whether it be with a doctor, a lawyer, your hairdresser, whomever. That's what I would like to leave our listeners with, too. Um, advocate, be willing to take it up to the next level. Be, you know, be reasonable and civil, of course. And uh, 
in keeping with what you both have said, I always make it a point when I am treated really well at a medical practice to compliment the people and also to mention it to the doctor. They'll say, you have some really nice people out there. I get the impression they don't get compliments very often. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. it matters to you, build the relationship. You know, it's it, that principle applies in so many parts of life. Yeah, just that's the old be kind. Yeah. Every, really. Everybody appreciates a compliment. Relevance, that's what's important to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yep. What about you? Are you a service provider who's had trouble with no-shows and last-minute cancellations? Or a consumer with your own story to tell? Send us an email or leave a voicemail. You can do both at our website, www.ethicsandetiquette.com. That's all for this episode of Ethics and Etiquette. Thanks for joining Kelly, Mike, and me. We loved having you here. See you next week for an all-new episode.